We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to another quarantine adult improver edition of Perpetual Chess. We are recording this here on April 5th, 2020, and we have another quite accomplished adult improver joining us. Um, he has been playing chess for 14 years, um, competitive chess for 14 years, and he recently earned the title of USCF Master, US Chess Federation Master, which for those of you from outside of the US, you probably are familiar with the US Chess Rating Scale, but basically it's usually about 50 to 100 points higher rated than FIDE, but it is a uh, significant accomplishment to earn the USCF Master title. It's about the 98.8th percentile of US Chess members players. Um, and he is the first African-American master from the Albany area. So he's been working hard for many years and he got this title. Um, and congratulations and welcome to the show, Philemon Thomas. Yes, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And we were chatting a little bit yesterday and you mentioned you've gotten, I found out about you. Thank you to the listener who sent the article about you uh, to me. Um, I found out through some local press that you've gotten um, in the Albany newspaper, in the Albany Times Union, and then they did a little TV hit on you. So how are your 15 seconds of fame treating you, Philemon? Oh, oh, it's excellent. It's excellent. It's so good to finally be recognized for doing the hard work and putting in the time over 14 years. Yeah, it's amazing. I love the perseverance. And I checked out your rating graph, of course, and I'll share that for listeners to um, to click through in the show description. Um, but it's mainly it's just consistency, it looks like. And obviously, we're going to go deep into um, what it is that you've done to continuously improve from, I believe you said you start you played your first tournament at the age of 19 and or 20 and you're 34 now. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So yeah, we'll get into that. But before that, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about your non-chess background, like uh, what you do for a living, your first um, your first um, introductions to chess and stuff like that. 
Well, I'm 34 years old. I'm born and raised in Albany, New York, and I, I work for currently for a commercial bakery. Well, I first got into chess when I was about six years old. My aunt, Janet Smith, she showed me the, how the pieces move, but I didn't delve into chess deeply until I came to a local park around the Albany area called Townsend Park. There were some guys there. They were playing blitz chess and trash talking, and they, they beat me mercilessly, and they told me to go study the Internet in a joking way and go study books. And I took the advice seriously. So I developed a voracious appetite for information. And I, I kept reading every type of chess book available. I read tactics and studies of the old masters and uh, positional books and everything you can think of. But even more specifically, when as I started to improve, I read uh, things about my weaknesses, like uh, books on psychology about chess and things of that nature. So wherever I needed to help, that's the book I read. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us get that sort of baptism by fire if we end up playing in a park. I grew up in Philadelphia, and um, I used to play at the Franklin Mercantile Chess Club. Shout out to Franklin Mercantile Chess Club. And uh, yeah, there were various uh, outdoor spots in the city. And of course, whenever I would go to New York, uh, back then it was Washington Square Park. More recently, it's been um, Union Square. And uh, of course, there's other spots in New York to play outside. Um, and yeah, it can be tough. I mean, because because the, the park players, first of all, they're strong. And second of all, like you say, the trash talk is strong. So it's um, yes. it's an adjustment on multiple levels when you when you discover that world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I actually got stronger myself, too, when I traveled down to New York City. I was just surprised because in Albany, you don't have like a huge chess community. But when I traveled to New York City, I was just so amazed and impressed to see so many people who love chess the way I loved it. And then you would discuss chess. And if you speak to chess with people who don't understand chess, it's like you're speaking Russian. Yeah. But when you speak to chess players, they, they understand. Yeah. So it sounds like you were you were one of those people, as soon as you knew the, the, the multitudes that the chess world contained, as soon as you saw this enthusiasm for it in the park, you were just all in from that moment at, at the age of 19? Oh, yes. I was, I was head over heels in love with chess. At certain points, I was studying chess like nine hours a day. I was consumed by it. I was I was obsessed. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what it takes. And you mentioned you work at a commercial bakery. I hope um, um, I hope this isn't uh, a sore subject, Philemon. But a lot of people obviously are dealing with sort of upheaval in their professional lives. Are you Are you still working now with um with the um the orders to stay home? Yes, they still we, we are allowed to work. We are considered essential workers. So yes, by the grace of God, we are able to work. Oh, that's good to hear. And I, I hope that you're taking precautions to uh, to stay healthy as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I follow all the guidelines. Okay, good, good Keep to hear. Safe. Yeah, crazy times, and yeah, I mean for. Yeah, the, and <laughs> I made sure I mentioned the date because I feel like the news flow is so fast right now, and this will come out as I told you. This will come out in about nine days, but uh, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we can start to to uh, flatten the curve and see see the exponential graph start to move in the other direction within um, within a matter of weeks from recording. But enough about the coronavirus, people. People get their yes. fill. So um, so let's get into so you. At the age of nineteen, you say you get you fall head over heels. You love the game. Um, so, you're, did you keep playing at the park a lot, or did you kind of hunker down and start studying, or what was the um, what was the next step once once you realized how much you had to learn about chess? Yes. So, when after I played in the park, 
and I discovered the chess books. I went and studied the chess books, and I would come back to the park and try to employ the skills that I learned. And then I realized that it was working. So that was my routine. I go study, then I go play in the park, and then I discovered tournaments. Then I would take my skills to the tournaments. So that was my my routine for improvement. And of course, I had to play stronger players. Awesome, yeah. And so I, they mentioned in one of the news hits, I think that you're uh, you're the third uh, master in the Albany area. Does that sound right to you? Yes, that sounds about right. Okay, so now it's getting um, probably getting harder for you to find uh, find competition at least uh, over the board. But um, but I guess at the you know as you were coming up, there were plenty of people for you to play. Absolutely, absolutely. The competition was was fierce coming up. You had about the guys were about two thousand strength, eighteen hundred to two thousand strength at the time. Okay, and uh, that was that was plenty plenty competition for me at the time. And when you went to the parks, dare I ask if there was uh, gambling involved, Philemon? Oh, it was a couple dollars being passed around, but nothing too serious. Just, okay. Just nothing to keep it interesting. That's good, good. Glad, glad that no one was getting hurt too badly. Um, so what? how did you figure out what books to get? Uh, what was your very next step? Like after your first, your first um, love for the game, where did you go from there in order to, to improve? Well, the books that made me improve the most personally were... Aaron Nemzovich, my system. Uh, Vladimir Vukovic, the art of attack. Uh, of course, any any tactical book I can get my hands on, I just devoured. And uh, Jeremy Silman was also very helpful. Any one of his books. And then as I began to improve it more, I got into uh, Mark Devoreski with the uh, in-game manuals and just anything tactical and in-game that I can find. That's Excellent. what was the source of my, my improvement. Excellent. Those are all classics. So how would you describe your chess style anyway, uh, Phil? Well, my chess style I describe as at first I'm prudent, but after the prudence is over, I'm, I'm very aggressive and like a, like a boa constrictor. I just keep <laughs> tightening the noose. Excellent. <laughs> but so do you have a particular strength like tactics or end games or openings or, or kind of uh, um, strong across the board? Yeah, yeah, I would consider myself to be well-rounded, but of course we all love tactics and to end the game in a very flashy way, flashy and exciting. Excellent. Um, sounds good. Yeah, so it sounds like you you latched onto some good books right away. Did you have did you have someone giving you advice, or are those just the ones? Like, did you pass through some books that weren't as memorable on the way to the ones you mentioned by the classics by Silman and Dvoretsky and The Art of Attack uh, and so on. No, I was I was lucky to have some great chess mentors right away. It was a gentleman in the park by the name of Daryl Perkins and another gentleman by the name of Bobby Ryder. They they uh, led me in the right direction right away. And also there was a guy by the name of Anarian Stevens. He was he he collected books. So he, he always gave me the right uh books to read. Even um Vasily Smithsloff, the Endgame Virtuoso, just it was just so much great chess literature that I was surrounded by, so I had no choice but to uh, get better because I, I love to read. Excellent. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, we, we talk to a lot of adult improvers, a lot of um, uh, international masters and grandmasters, and depending on when they were born, some of them have more of like a book learning bent as opposed to a computer learning bent. So is it, is it fair to say, Philemon, that you're more from the, the book learning background? Yeah, I like the books more. I, I tried the computer, but my eyes, my eyes and the screen just don't agree with each other. Oh, well, okay. I, like the, I prefer the books. Do you yeah. manage to play online though? Oh, I do play. I play on my phone online. Yes. Okay. Um, what, Absolutely. where do you like to play? 
I like to play on chess.com. Okay. And a lot of a lot of blitz. Okay, and how does your blitz game compare to your um your regular uh your slower game? I say that they're night and day. I take more chances in, in blitz. I'm more more tactical, more attacking style. But in a, a classical game I'm gonna I'm gonna try it out very positionally, keep everything solid and then when I see the weakness I just now now I'm re- I'm uh, relentless in the attack when it, when it's weakness. Okay. And what have the um the over the board opportunities been like in Albany? Like how often did you play? Um and uh were there periods where you took time off? Yeah. In the in the past I took a lot of time off because it just wasn't enough events to play locally and I really didn't want to spend the money to travel all the time. But as of recent, it was a gentleman by the name of Dave Finneman. Dave Yes, Dave Cinnamon, he started some low, uh, some tournaments on Sundays. So that's how I was able to achieve the master title. It was very inexpensive to play, and it was strong players coming. That's excellent. Shout cool out to him. Dave. Uh, you know, uh, as we've mentioned here before, the uh, the people who run chess clubs and offer tournaments in every community are often sort of the unsung heroes of the chess world. Absolutely. Um, so, so you've been able to... to bring up your rating uh, thanks in part to the the tournaments run by by Dave Cinnamon but over this uh 14 year span Phil how often like what's what was typical for you how many tournaments per month or per year would you say you were playing well when I first started I was playing a bunch they had these uh quads these local quads so I would play those uh monthly and after that I started to visit the uh the bigger tournaments like the Foxwoods Open and the World Open and Anything on the East Coast, I was pretty much uh, attending. So uh, when I when I had the chess bug like a lot, when I was very in love with it, I would play as often as I could. So every major tournament I would go to. Okay, and obviously um, you mentioned the expenses, so that could get expensive. How did you How did you approach um, spending the money? Was it a bitter pill, or you're just like whatever it takes? Yeah, it was just like whatever it takes. Because I was so in love with it, I, I figured, like, what else am I going to spend the money? I might as well spend it on something I love, and I get to go and meet these chess players and people who share my same passion. I can improve and share knowledge and get get knowledge at the same time. I was just in heaven. Yeah, and one of um one of the write ups I saw one of the media hits mentioned you're a single guy. Is that that's still the case? Yes. Yeah. So do you think that that yeah. helps for being able to pursue chess? I don't. I don't know. I guess if you got a very supportive spouse who also loves chess, then it will work. But if not, then it's gonna be a little. Uh, it's gonna be tough. But if you're single, you know you have more time. Yeah, more time. You like to put in life. Yeah, and fewer mouths to feed. So, um, yeah, and and like you say, it's helpful. If it's great when you have a supportive significant other. Um, but if if nothing else, at least if they're not pulling in the other direction, um, that that's it's a good true. start. <laughs> absolutely and now you have you have a short and sorry i was just gonna say now you have the feather in your cap that you're you're a master so um probably doesn't hurt yeah yeah that that sounds great anyway you know yeah yeah exactly it's a it's a good title (laughs) um so so have you ever had a coach philemon no no all self-taught never had a coach in my life did you you ever consider it no, not too much. Not too much. I don't know. I just was so so in love with the books. I, I don't know. I guess a, a coach can shorten the learning learning curve, but I never considered it. Okay. Maybe I will now. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's like um, getting some attention and, uh, you know, 
scraping scraping your highs. I mean, I can understand the the temptation, although um, you've you've done just fine without one. So um, we have a couple questions from uh, supporters of the show, Phil. So um, if you're okay with it, I would like to take a quick break to hear from my friends, our friends at Chessable, and then we'll dive into the first one. One of the classic chess books that USCF master Philemon Thomas mentions in our conversation is The Art of Attack in Chess by I.M. Vladimir Vukovic. Did you know that Chessable.com has an updated version of this classic that was edited by GM John Nunn, has been checked by modern engines, and is available with Chessable's move trainer capability? Vukovic walks you through attacks on the uncastled king, the castled king, the Greek gift sacrifice, and much more. This book has been recommended by GM's R.B. Ramesh and Michael Rode on this show, among others. So if you want to sharpen up or just appreciate the fine art of attacking, go to chessable.com and check it out. All right, Phil. So here we go. First question is from friend and Patreon supporter of the show, Faraz Sawaf, who has the Apprentice Twitch channel. Um, and Faraz asks... He says, a really heartfelt congrats on such a massive achievement. With the benefit of 2020 hindsight, if you had to do this all over again, what would you have done sooner? What would you have avoided doing? And how, and how much shorter could you imagine the journey would have been to achieve master if you had done a few things differently? So great question for Faraz. What do you think, Philemon? I think what I, have, what I have, I'm sorry, what I would have done differently, I wouldn't have taken as many breaks. And I would uh, approach my weaknesses much quicker. And my, my biggest weakness when it came to improvement was patience. I used to move so fast without calculating anything, just moving off intuition. So I think that would playing more consistently and also being very patient would have uh, shortened my time in achieving master. Okay, so so good stuff. But a lot of us, it's like we know what our weakness is, but actually changing it can be can be a unique challenge. So you mentioned that you you sort of um suggesting that you finally at least um managed to slow down. So what tricks did you develop in order to help you do that? Well, when I uh, played over the board classical chess, I would uh, find my candidate moves. Then I would count to 10 in my head and check everything and blunder check and just look for any, any way I can go wrong and not overlook things. I just had to really slow down and sit on my hands. I wouldn't put my hands on the table. I would keep them under the table so I wouldn't be impulsive and touch a piece. So just little, little tricks to make me slow down. Excellent. And do you think playing a lot uh, in the parks and stuff, did that make it like an added challenge to slow down? Oh, without a doubt. Because it's, it's so much blitz in three-minute and five-minute games that you have to be fast. But what it did help with is my ability to calculate quickly. So I, I, I would, in a classical game, I would calculate quickly, but still manage to check everything after my calculation. That's good. So did you develop a routine for blunder checking? You mentioned that you would you would blunder check and you would look at forcing moves right before your move. But did you have it like, okay, this is going to be my final step before I make the move? Or would it be more like you just kind of try to remember when you can to to blunder check? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a, a, like a developed system for the blunder check. It was just, if I remember, I'll check. But most of my moves were guided off just intuition and calculation. Just what, what feels, what felt right. 
cool. Yeah. And for, for listeners who are may not be familiar with the concept of uh, blender checking, basically just like last thing before you move, look at checks, captures and attacks um, that, that your opponent might be able to do just to make sure you're not missing anything that you're going to regret later. Cause, cause we've all been there. Is that basically what your approach was as well, Phil? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause that is the worst feeling ever is to have be winning a game and, and, forget something and then uh it's like oh my goodness all this work for nothing oh man yeah and it never you never get used to it really <laughs> like no matter how many times it happens <laughs> it still feels devastating oh my goodness every time you invest so many hours into this calculation and, and playing the game and then just boom and one shot is over i always remember the famous chess quote that one bad move can nullify 40 good ones yeah exactly um, and was there any, so obviously you're, you're well-read in the chess world, a voracious reader, as you mentioned, was there any book or uh, advice you got that, that helped you with this problem of moving too fast? Or did you just kind of have to figure it out by trial and error? Just trial and error, just trial and error. I remember reading some uh, like game collections from like Tao, the likes and games of Mikhail Tao. Classic, yeah. Somewhere just like, yeah, you, you got to slow down. You got you to gotta be patient. So that's my favorite player. So whatever he says, it's like the gospel to me. Yeah, he's he's a legend. He's he's fun. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And you mentioned you took uh, you took some breaks and may, that perhaps slowed you down. So um, what what if you don't mind getting into it? What caused you to take the breaks? Was it something going on in your personal life, or was it you were feeling burnt out, or was it just as you mentioned earlier, just no tournaments at a particular moment were available? No, what what happened was sitting in the park, I, I developed like a, a unhealthy lifestyle. I was just playing chess and eating unhealthy. So I took some time off to get my health in order. So I focused a lot on exercise and eating healthy. And then when I got those things in order, I returned to chess. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, chess can be so addictive that it's hard, hard to find the right, um, the right balance. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was truly an addict. <laughs> so when you Sometimes. came back, uh, how was it that you were able to avoid slipping back into sort of the old routines? Oh, I just developed such a strong discipline and I just divided my love for exercise and chess evenly. I developed like a balance for everything. Okay. And what's your, what's your exercise of choice? Oh, I, I love calisthenics, body weight exercises. So okay. any type of push up, pull up, things of that nature. Cool. And you said you're you're able to do those at home now with uh with this <laughs> with everyone being at home for the most part. Absolutely, absolutely. So it worked out for me. So I, I developed such a love for calisthenics that I can I can do it anywhere. So the world is my gym. Excellent. Um cool. And we have another question from a supporter of the podcast, and this one's kind of related to the topic of uh of taking breaks. Um it's from Ed Daly. So Ed, thank you for the support. And Ed asks, he says when you find yourself stuck at a level for for a period of time with no improvement, what do you do differently, if anything, to break through the barrier and resume improvement? Well, that's that's exactly when I take a break. I take a break from chess for about two to three weeks, and then I approach it again with like fresh eyes, and it almost like reinvigorates my love for the game when I take that break. And then I look at the weakness, and I, I, I figure out a way to correct it. That's also... That... I'm sorry. No, you but go ahead. Also, I analyze. Uh, okay, I analyze my own personal games, and I see where I'm losing the game. Do I lose it in opening, middle, or ending? And then I take the uh, necessary uh, route to fix that. Excellent. So, is that something you would do during the break, or is it like no chess at all during a break? 
no chess at all, no chess at all, just no chess. And then I come back after the break, and then I analyze my games and say, okay, I'm losing in the middle game, so I got to work on this or that. Okay, and um, what's the longest break you've taken over the years? Maybe, maybe uh, three months. Three okay. months, no chess. And do you start to yeah. miss it? That's what happens. I start to miss, and I have to come back. Like, nice. oh man, I gotta play. Yeah, I gotta play some games. I gotta get back into it. Excellent. Um, and when you're when you're really excuse me, <clears throat> when you're really in your routine, Philemon, when you're really um, uh, um, firing on all cylinders with your chess game, like how many hours a day would you typically study? Uh, on average, maybe two to three hours daily. Okay, excellent. Um, and so you mentioned you would devour tactics books in addition to um, reading the classics and and um, and studying your own games. How would you say over the years, if you were to like make a pie chart of how much time you spent on each of of those activities, how how would you say that you divided it? It would be pretty much even. Okay. For about what twenty five percent tactics, twenty five percent my own personal games. 25% like grandmaster games and 25% positional study. Okay. And where, where do openings fit into this? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, to be honest, I really never dedicated too much time into openings, but now I think I will to get my systems down packed, very solid. But that was the least of my study is openings. I just would trot out with a solid system and get a playable middle game position and just take it from there. Yeah. That's, um, that's something I find myself stressing a lot on this show. I mean, op openings can be fun, but they're certainly not indispensable until I would say, um, you know, somewhere around 2000 to, to your level to 2200 is when you really start to have to pay if you don't, if you don't know openings. So what would be an example of something kind of um, that just gets you out of the opening that you might play Philemon? Well, I usually play a very flexible first move as white, like a knight f3. Okay. And then I can transpose. Yeah, I can transpose into pretty much anything from there. So I keep it very, very flexible, and I try to get people out of their systems. I don't want to play something that they know better than me. So I keep it very, very solid and flexible. Okay. And you mentioned it's not a point of emphasis, but let's say you play a tournament game and after knight F3, the first five moves are moves that you've seen before or first eight moves, whatever it may be. Are you even looking to see what the next move is or are like the next theoretical move or are you not thinking about openings in sort of as, as structured a way? No, no, I'm not, I'm not like engrossed with the theory. I just want to get to like a, a, a playable position where I don't have any weaknesses and then I'll take it from there in the middle game. We can, we can battle in the middle game now. Cool. And a lot of people feel that way. They feel like they can do that as white, but then as black, they find it more challenging. Are, are you able to find, uh, you know, playable openings that don't get you into trouble as black as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now for black, I do know some theory. Okay. So I'll, I'll play some, yeah, I'll play some theorized opening just to get me to, an even position and then i look to equalize later so not to give away all your secrets philemon but but again what would be some examples of things you might play against like e4 and d4 as black that that you feel give you reasonable practical chances and then you can sort of play um try to outplay your opponent in the middle game well as uh, against e4 black i'll play the french okay I, I know about every line of the french and then i'll play as black against d4 i'll play the slav so okay. just to keep it very solid equalize similar structures 
and then I'll start my uh, ball constrictor. <laughs> Although the Slav is a lot of theory. <laughs> I mean, the French too, but the Slav in particular is a lot of theory if you, if you let yourself go down that rabbit hole, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So do you have like so side, sidelines that you play or it's just you don't really focus on the theory? You just focus on sort of learning from, learning from, from your previous games? Yeah, I pretty much do that. And I see where I went wrong and then I try not to ever do that again. Because okay. you get crushed. I don't, I don't, yeah. And I'm guessing you you have read some opening books about these openings in particular? Yeah, absolutely. I, I read a couple books and I also looked at some uh, programs on, on the computer. Okay. And I tried to like, you know, I, I memorized some of the theory. Okay. So I pretty much, I pretty much get to a solid playable position just about every time. Okay. But not a big point, not a big point of emphasis in your studies. Not not at the at the current time of improvement, but right now I will make it uh, part of my, my serious study. Okay, yeah, that that sounds sounds like it might be good timing. I mean, it's so so cool that you're just uh, continuing to to scrape new highs in your rating um, without looking back. I'm looking forward to seeing what else you, you can accomplish. Um, so, um, you mentioned, of course, that you'd like some tactics books. Um, do you ever do the tactics trainers on your phone? I tried to get into it a little bit. The um, they got the puzzle rush on the chess dot com and a, a bunch of other ones, but I'll definitely dedicate some time to it now because I love tactics. And what other tactics resources have you used over the years, Phil? I used uh, CTR. Oh yeah, one classic. One. Yeah. yeah. And I also early on I did a lot of the Fred Reinfeld uh, books. It was the uh, Chess Cafe puzzle book by Karsten Mueller. Uh, I think German Grandmaster. He has uh, one and two. Um, just just a bunch of uh, tactics from like master games, like solve this position, those type of things. Okay, yeah. And of course, being a student of the art of attack and the games of Mikhail Tal, you're going to get some tactics in there as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But even more important than the tactics for me is what did the master do to lead to this position where the tactic was available? Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, yeah, as uh, as Chess explained, as I often find myself quoting, uh, I am Christoph Zalecki. Chess is chess is a game of mistakes, and tactics don't come out of nowhere. They come out of some weakness in in a position. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned these Reinfeld books. Um, I'm I'm trying, uh, Phil. I'm trying to do a better job for um my listeners who are newer to chess. So I'm trying to get more resource recommendations, and um, I feel like you're you're being fairly new to the game is recent enough because a lot of times when I talk to grandmasters, it's like they, they recommend Dvoretsky and Jakob Algard and these very high level books that are amazing books, but they can sometimes lead, lead people say below uh, 15, 1600 down the wrong path in terms of what they study. So you mentioned these uh, Karsten Mueller tactics books. Do you think those are good for people for that level who are, are looking to improve their tactics? Yes, absolutely. The way I look at that is uh, you ask for a drink of water and they come, they pull out a fire hose. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the chess but world yeah, generally, I, the chess world generally, I think, can feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, absolutely. The Chess Cafe, I think, is great for uh, if you're anywhere between 1,400 and, and 2,000 or even 2,200 as a refresher. Even the uh, Fred, the classical Fred Reinfeld, thousand and one brilliant sacrifices and combinations, just to get you familiar with pattern recognition. So if you ever see anything familiar in your game, you can say, "Oh, uh, 
a decoy is available here or a, a pen is here, this piece of pen, just be aware of all the tactics present. So those books, I think, are excellent for players climbing the ladder. Yeah, I agree. And and generally, I feel like especially as you're, as you're getting your feet wet, um, it, in my opinion, it's more important to maintain a daily practice than it is like what exact tactics resource you use, whether it be like like you said, you're not that into the online trainers, but we've had plenty of accomplished guests who are, um, or just basically any tactics book you can get your hands on. As long as there aren't a lot of errors in it, um, you're going to be assimilating more patterns, and it's going to help your your tactical sense overall. Absolutely, I, I agree a thousand percent. Just okay. keep doing them. Just consistency and everything. Yeah, and it helps. Like if if you have the love as you do, um, clearly. Um, so. Again, circling back to these plateaus, Philemon, that we all we all encounter at times. Um, what in terms of rating plateau? What what was your biggest challenge? What at what period did you feel um, the most? Or you were having the most tr- trouble advancing. Probably getting to two thousand. So coming from eighteen hundred to two thousand, that was a uh, it was tough. But I just employed my uh, taking a break tactic. I take a break and I come back with a fresh love for the game and after studying and I would just improve and of same course, thing from 2000 to go ahead. Sorry. I mean, I, uh, I just want to, we could probably figure this out from studying your, uh, your, your rating graph, but it's been a 14 year journey. So what are we talking about in terms of uh timeline uh, for how long you were stuck on a given level? Um, does anything stand out in particular? I'm also going to pull up your graph and just maybe we can talk through it a little bit. Yeah, I think that would be easier. Okay. So yeah, I'm looking, it looks like 2009, you hit 1700, uh, 2013, you made it to 2000. Wow. So that's six years of grinding. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Although you did have a big jump. It looks like it was about 2011. You figured something out, and then then you went quickly from 1800 to near 2000. Right, right. It must have been I was employing my my take a break tag to come back fresh, and then boom, have that have that yes, have that love, and just just want to crush your opponent. You know, you got to have this this zeal to crush your opponent. If you shake hands after, but while the game is on, you got to just look to crush them. Yeah, we used to shake hands at least. We'll we'll see <laughs> we'll see if we shake hands again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. With such elbows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just not going to be the same. Um, <laughs> but okay, so that's that's really cool to see. Just looking at this graph is is inspiring. So you feel like it wasn't like some sort of intellectual breakthrough. It was more just um, continued work paying off and um, feeling refreshed when you finally made this jump from eighteen hundred to two thousand. Yes, absolutely. You got to sit down at the board and, and have fun. You got to you got to want to find the best moves, and it, it's just your your passion for the game has to be present. If you're if you're sitting down and you don't want to be there, you're never going to improve. Excellent. Okay, and then 2013, you make you make for for again for international listeners when you hit 2000 and. In the U.S., you get what's called the expert title, which is one below master. Uh, it's a, a great achievement in its own right. Um, so you you make expert in 2013, and then you, it looks like you're you're between 2000 and 2100 for four years. Five? Wow, more than four years. Um, again, I'm just estimating based on this graph, but it looks like it was 2018 that you finally hit 2100. Does that sound about right? 
That sounds correct. Man, so just such a such a long journey, so much perseverance. Um, but then to go from twenty one hundred to now twenty two twelve in in a year, year and a half, that's pretty impressive. So. Have you been picking up the pace in terms of your study um, or to what do you attribute this sort of um, slightly accelerated push in recent years? I attribute it to just having the Sunday Fin tournaments to play at. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because I, was, I wasn't too, too hell-bent on uh, traveling so much for chess anymore. So he, it was local tournaments available, so I just took advantage. The players were there, the strong players were there. We had experts and masters. So every single week, it was a, a opportunity to get a, a new master scout, and you get more comfortable with playing them, and that's what I attributed to. That's yeah. I mean, there's just there's just no substitute for playing over the board. I mean, it, there's just there's just nothing like it. So again, it's it's good that you give proper credit to was it Mr. Cinnamon? Was that uh? He's the guy, Mr. Cinnamon. I give all credit to him Excellent. for making it available. Um. Oh man, what was I going to ask you? Oh yeah, so being that you're in rather uh, a relatively small community, Phil, how do you handle playing the same players over and over again? Well, it could be it could be tough at times because both opponents get familiar with each other's style. So every once in a while, you have to uh, try out a new variation or just a new idea just to throw them off of it, so you can get the edge and win the game. But that, that's the way I see it. You got to keep it fresh. Do new things. Yeah. Do you find yourself repeating sequences a lot um, in the opening against the uh, when you're playing someone, say, for the tenth time, or do you manage yeah, to deviate? Sometimes I I do play the same sequence and then I'll deviate later, so it makes them think over the board, and they have to find the correct answer to keep the game even. Okay. And and once you find out, I mean, I'm guessing in a community like Albany, like even just when you see like. When you show up and another, say, you know, 21, 2200 shows up, like from when you walk in the door, you're thinking you might play him or her. So are you like uh, checking some lines on your phone before a game or do you try to keep a fresh, a fresh um, mind going into the game? Well, sometimes I do both. Sometimes I check the lines and I had a bad experience with that because I tried to memorize the line and then when I get to the board, he plays something completely different. So it threw me way off guard. So I had to think over the board and find the moves. And that game didn't end too well for me. So I just go in with a fresh mind and just look for the best move on each turn. Yeah. And what time control are these Sunday quads for the one? Oh, it's actually a pretty fast time control with game in 25. Okay. But I'm guessing with you, with your blitz background, that doesn't bother you much. Oh, it felt like a six hour time control to be honest. <laughs> Say what? With the, it felt like a six hour. Oh, time did it? Yeah. Okay. So it feels like a lot of time to you. Do you have? But you mentioned yeah. you have gone to the Continental Chess tournaments. You've gone to the big tournaments on the Eastern Seaboard. How does it feel to have all that time when you sit down for one of those tournaments, like the World Open? Oh my goodness! It feels like a lifetime. But <laughs> it can be certain moves where you need twenty minutes to think. So having the blitz background and playing in the quick tournaments it helps me to utilize my time in the uh, long time control. So you are able, it's not like, because I've played, some people who I know play a lot of speed chess, and I would consider sort of speed chess specialists, like they, they, as you mentioned, you struggled with this, you, they can't slow down in classical, and it kind of, um, 
inhibits their growth. It limits their upside and slower chest. Do you feel like uh, you still have that problem or are you able to sort of maximize the time you have when, in those rare occasions when you do get to play uh, a slower time control? Yeah, I, I figured out how to just uh, maximize my time. It's all psychological. I just switch my mind into the slow chest mode and forget about the blitz. I use the blitz skills when it's necessary if I get into time trouble. But mm-hmm. other than that, I'm just I'm taking my time. I'm, I'm use, utilizing my time. I'm being patient. I'm just looking for the best moves, checking everything. What does he have? Everything. So it, it doesn't, no, it doesn't affect me. Cool. And and with the action, I feel like action chest game 25 um, or game 30, whatever it might be, maybe with an increment or delay thrown in, I feel like it has its own pace and it often can be a practical um, time control to em- to emphasize for working adults um, because in, in the U.S. at least, it's the fastest regular rated tournament and it's kind of the most practical um, so what advice do you have, Phil, for how to manage your time? Like, are you trying to knock it down to five minutes by a certain move? Um, is there a maximum amount of time you will spend on a move? Do you have any sort of practical tips you would give people for playing that time control in particular? Yeah, absolutely. So the way I approach it is don't waste any time where you don't need to. So if you know the opening, you come out of the opening as fast as possible. Uh, if you get to a, a position where you need more time, use it. But don't dwell on your time. Use the time when you need it, and I think you'll be fine. And would you ever spend 10 minutes on a move in an action game, or is that too much? No, that's too much. If you got to spend 10 minutes on a move, then you, you don't understand the position. You should just, you got to make a move because you'll get into time trouble, then you'll make worse moves. Okay. Now, of course, uh, regular listeners will have heard me ask some variation of this question a lot, but do you ever find it hard to pull the trigger? Do you? Because I personally have had this issue in action chess where I just, I, I don't, it, like you say, it's a position where I'm like, all right, I don't know what to do here. And I just can't pull the trigger. I just can't make a move. I feel like I'm going to, like a few more minutes will help me figure it out when, when realistically I'm just not going to know. Is did you, Do you ever encounter that issue? No, I don't because I I look at it like this. He had my opponent has the same twenty five minutes, so it's gonna come a time where he or she has to think as well. So I just pull the trigger. I I check. I make sure I feel it's okay. I just make the move. Okay. Yeah. I feel like it depends. Often you mentioned there's in uh in chess there's the people who naturally play too fast and the people who naturally play too slow and i think it's more rare that someone just has the right pacing and i think often it comes down to uh what your your chess personality type is and i think that since you're coming from the sort of vishyanand um intuitive players um background uh, I think you have you struggle with this issue less than sort of myself and some others who might be the the more analytical bent, like say Grishak, obviously, um, being the classic time trouble addict example. So yeah, it's just um, I think it's just it's like um, just a natural personality trait of a chess player that that you can try to you can try to strengthen up your weakness, but you're not going to change your fundamental character. This is true. I don't think it can be changed. I think we are who we are. But what I also try to do when I go to a tournament, if I'm familiar with the players, I know who's notorious for getting into time trouble. I know who the fast players are. So judging from that, I, I use my time based on who I'm playing. So if I'm playing a notoriously slow player, I know I can take more time to think because my opponent's going to get into time trouble. 
if I'm playing a, a faster player, I try to keep my pace at, at steady so I won't fall into trouble. That's interesting. So you, so you're not trying, you're not consciously trying to play faster against slow pokes like me. You're just you're you're letting your opponent set the pace, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. You gotta you gotta know your opponent, know who you're playing. Yeah, that's great. Great practical advice. Thank thank you for sharing it, Philemon. Um, so you're welcome. So a couple more things before I let you go. Uh, um, number one, so obviously big feather in your cap. I know you've been dreaming about this master title for a long time. First of all, at what moment did you start to think you were going to get the master title? As soon as you, um, as soon as you started loving chess, were you like, I'm going to work for that? Or was it too far away? Like at, at what moment you were like, all right, that's what I'm going for. Um, yeah, that's absolutely what happened. At first I was just so in love with chess. I never even considered the master title. I said, I just love chess. I'm going to play. I'm going to improve. I always dreamed of having this great strength in chess, but the master title wasn't in my mind. Uh, around the time I hit about 2050, I said, okay, it's in sight now. So I started to, uh, develop more energy at the board. And I said, every 10 points I get, I'm closer to master. So that was my mindset. Just get 10 more points, 10 more rating points, 10 more rating points. When I would play a, a master, I would say, I got to get the scalp. I got I got to get him. <laughs> so that was my mindset. Excellent. And the other milestones along the way, um, class C, class B, class A, expert, were you equally motivated by those? Or was it just all sort of uh, just more driven by love of the game and the, the natural learning process? No, I was I'm equally motivated by whomever I play. I don't take anybody lightly because – on any given day, a class player could, could play like a master. So I try to crush everybody I sit at the board with. <laughs> Equal opportunity crusher. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, and and what's next chess-wise, Philemon? I mean, you. so are, are you going to – are you – you, excuse me. Do you have another title in mind, or is it more just sort of uh, embrace the journey? I want to steadily improve. So, I, I, of course, I want to – get to 2300 and 2400 after if i when i reach 2400 i'll see where i want to go with chess if, wow i like how it. my life is at the time man yeah. good good goals because yeah it gets harder and harder so uh that would be amazing if you if you get to 2400 philemon you are you ready to come back on the show <laughs> i will definitely come back on the show at 2400 Excellent. Glad to hear it. And um, just just one or two more things. Um, they mentioned in the Albany Times, I mean, they've done it look like a little digging in terms of like how many African-American masters there are. Does does being, um, uh, I mean, relatively less, I actually don't know if I wouldn't guess that there's, I think it's more just that there's not as many African-Americans playing chess to begin with. It doesn't seem to me like there's fewer proportionately making master. What do you think? Um, do you feel like there are added hurdles uh being an african-american playing chess or do you feel sort of um that it's just not as popular what's what's your general opinion i think it's not as popular because it's not as lucrative you can make millions of dollars playing sports so i think that's you know it draws more to play sports but i don't think there's any hurdles personally for me because everybody understands checkmate no matter where you come from in the world when it's made on the board, it's made on the board. Excellent. And do you have any ambitions? Like, do you do any chess teaching, um, any mentoring? Um, do you, do you have any, um, ambitions in that direction? I, that is one of my uh, goals is to, to teach chess, but currently it's tough to find students who are serious, who take the game serious. So it's, it's tough. 
Well, at least in this area. Okay. And are there school programs in Albany? Do you think about doing like like uh, after school programs or anything like that? Well, that's that's on my mind. I want to uh, introduce that to the schools up here and see what they say. I think they would be all for it because chess is, is great for kids. It teaches them decision-making and problem-solving and critical thinking and analytical thinking. These are skills that we all need for the rest of our lives. Why not develop them at an early age? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, generally uh, schools schools can be pretty receptive to it. Um, funding can be tricky depending on, on what the business model is, but certainly I think it's a great thing for kids, assuming kids ever go back to school. Um, so, and and you're working nights, right? Yes. So in theory, you could you could maybe throw in a few. Would uh, would that conflict with your work schedule or no? No, not at all, not at all. I'd be available during those school hours to teach. Okay, cool. All right, well, Philemon, just last thing. Um, if you could kind of bullet point your your chess adv- advice, if you were to make like a five to ten minute YouTube video saying these these are the these are the secrets of my success, what what would you say that that they are? Well, the secrets of success for me personally, first you got to approach the game with much passion. When you sit at the board, you got to want to crush your opponent. You have to be well rested. You have to eat. You have to look for the best moves. You have to be well prepared. Okay. So, and, yes. Excellent. And um, in terms of study, you already mentioned sort of your general study philosophy. You gave a few good book recommendations. Are there any books or anything, any other resources you'd, you'd, you'd like to mention before I let you go, Phil? Well, I always like to revisit the classics. So right now I'm revisiting uh, Think Like a Grandmaster by Koto. Excellent. Yeah. So what do you think of that book, yeah. by the way? Because I, I, in addition to interviewing people about once a month, I do kind of a, uh, me and... Um, Someone from the online chess community, uh, listener and supporter of the show, will recap a book. And and you've mentioned two that actually in Counting Soman three, because um, we recapped uh, Life and Games of Mikhail Tall and also Think Like a Grandmaster. But um, as I discussed with uh, Ma- uh, National Master Christopher Chabri, um, when we did Think Like a Grandmaster, these days it's kind of considered, um, I don't know if I would call it controversial, but some people think it's still super beneficial and other people find it to be a bit outdated. What's your opinion? No, I still think it's beneficial. I take from it what I take from it. Well, it's my, my philosophy is you eat the meat and spit out the bones. So I take what's useful from the book. Yeah. That, that, that's, uh, that's a great, great philosophy. I like it. Um, okay, Phil, a- anything else before we let you go? On, go on? I really appreciate your taking the time, and I'm really inspired by, by your accomplishments. No, not too much. Just keep playing chess, and now is a great time for people to learn chess, to play chess while everybody's under quarantine. Exactly. Everyone's going to come back fierce. It's going to be interesting. You know, everyone's going to come back guns blazing whenever, uh, whenever the time comes. I look forward to it. Okay. And if anyone wants to reach you, Phil, um, whether it be about possibly instruction or just congratulations or whatever it may be, what, what would be the best way for them to contact you? They can contact me on Facebook at uh, Philemon Thomas. That's a P-H-I-L-E-M-O-N-T-H-O-M-A-S. So Philemon Thomas on Facebook. Yep, that's how I contacted you. So uh, it worked for me. Um, excellent. So I'll link to that for anyone interested in uh, sending Phil some congratulations or any questions they may have. But Phil, thanks again. Congratulations on the inspiring success and uh, good luck getting to 2400. That would be, uh, I, I would love to see that. That would be super cool to see. Yes. Thanks a lot, Ben, for having me. And I, I'm going to make it. Mark my word. 
Okay, excellent. And you can stay on the line for a minute, um, but we're going to say goodbye to our listeners. Everyone stay safe. Um, and yeah, like Phil said, take advantage of this time. Uh, work hard on your chest and be safe, everyone. Definitely. Special thanks to my producer, Matthew Passy, and thanks to you all for continuing to listen to and spread the word about Perpetual Chess. You can spread the word on Twitter. Follow me. I'm at Beneficial1. You can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group and continue the dialogue about each interview after it is released. I also want to thank the people who've written a few new reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's good to see. Reviews on other podcast platforms and YouTube are also appreciated. But of course, most of all, I would like to thank the people who provide financial support to the show, especially these days as a lot of our lives are in upheaval. We're stuck at home. There's work changes and all that stuff. So it means the world to me that you guys have stuck with me and even in some cases added new support in these crazy times. So thanks. I really appreciate it for anyone who's able to support it is the Perpetual Chess Patreon page where you can donate through PayPal if you go to perpetualchesspod.com. So with that out of the way, first of all, of course, I would like to thank the sponsor of the show, Chessable. And I also would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities for their support. They include Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Apprentice Twitch Channel, Andrew Bach, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, Dan O'Hanlon, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Greg Natel, Greg Shahadi, Guven Manet, Jens Green, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John Cromarty, John MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, Lorraine Dore, Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Moonmaster 9000, Peter Sodi, Reuven Fisher, Seattle Chess Club, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryan of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, and I also would like to give thanks to the following people and entities Aaron Waffler, Ace Vallega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Peja, FM Andre Tarakov, Andrew Perry, Anidi Deer, Better Chess Training, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wayne Scott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Courtney Fry, David Bleskachek, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Lucas of the U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Cramerly of Chessable.com, Douglas Matthew, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ethan Smith, Ian Mason, I Am Elect or Possibly Not I Am Elect, Donnie Ariel Esquire, Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Francis Letarte Lavoie, Francis Tortoris, MD, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Hans Schutt, Harish Srinivasan, Jacob Kovac, Jacques Pari, James Aspinwall, James Bonastia, James Murr, Jason Anfang, Jason Willem, Jadeep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Jerry Wells, Jim Ratliff, JJ Stranod, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman of the U.S. Chess Federation, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jordan Goodwin, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, Grandmaster Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky, 
Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Reiforth, Laura Belyovsky, Martin Knudsen, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, the Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Alert, Miguel Araspati, Mike Clem, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Solin, Neil Bruce, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hollenbach, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott Dougherty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwater, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Thomas Kolmanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Wayne Beam, William Brock, William Juniper, William Hogarth, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and last but never least, Zhivko Soyanov. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I will catch you all soon. Podcast Network.